0: This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. We have been talking over the last several weeks about God, about who God is, about what God is about. What does He want? What is His nature? What is His character? And so as we continue this morning... Even though it's Father's Day, we're going to continue to talk about God. Because after all, He is our Heavenly Father, isn't He? As a matter of fact, as I was planning this sermon series and laying out the different messages I was going to do, I didn't realize Father's Day fell so late in the month. Usually it falls in the earlier part of June. And as I planned this message out, it happened to fall on Father's Day. Because we're going to be talking about the prodigal son. Y'all are familiar somewhat with that story. At least you should be. But more often than not, we focus on the son. But today we're going to focus on the father. Because this is a parable about the fatherhood of God. It is a parable about who God is as a father. You know, as we go through Father's Day and as we talk about that, we, we can go to the bookstores and find all kinds of books on how to be a great dad. You can go to the Christian bookstores. You can go online and see all different messages and books on fatherhood and those kinds of things. Or maybe there's someone that you can look up to and say, Man, I want to be a father like him. And over the years, as I've raised my kids, I've watched dads in this church. And there are a lot of things that I gleaned from watching the fathers in this church so that I might find good things and good ways to raise my kids. But I'll tell you, the ultimate father is our heavenly father. Now, we've been in the Old Testament talking about the character of God, his names, and the majesty and magnificence of God. And we've been talking about the power of his name and all of those wonderful things. And it sort of seems like God is out there and transcendent, and certainly he is. But this morning, we're going to bring God right down into our lives. And it's a fitting day, Father's Day, because we're going to look at our Heavenly Father. And as you read this parable with me this morning, you're going to see something very unique in this story. Because it is the only time in Scripture that we see God run. The only time in Scripture... That we see God run. And so as we examine the aspect of God running, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful today for you letting us be here to worship you. Father, we thank you for the men in our church, the fathers and Lord, those aspiring fathers. We pray that you'll again wrap your arms around them and bless them. But Lord, we thank you that you are our heavenly Father. And that, Lord, no matter how far away we get from you, you still love us, you still seek us. Lord, help us this morning to be found. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been talking about the transcendence and magnificence of Almighty God. But even back in the Old Testament, God reminded His people that He was near at hand. As a matter of fact, in the book of Jeremiah... Chapter 23, in verses 23 and 24, God reminds us of this. He said, am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Yes, he's big. Yes, he's unlimited. Yes, he's amazing and magnificent. Yes, he's beyond imagination. But he's telling the people, even in the Old Testament, where people think God was big and mean and grouchy. No, no. Even in the Old Testament, God is telling his people, I am near at hand. I am near at hand. He goes on to say, Can anyone hide himself in secret places? So I shall not see him. In other words, God is not only near at hand, but God is watching God is observing. God is looking. You know, raising my kids, one of the things that always came up, and I always heard when we were out doing something, my kids would be out doing uh, playing, or they'd be looking at. They say, "Daddy, look at me," and we all did that growing up, didn't we? "Mommy, daddy, look at me," and of course, whatever they were doing, you would applaud and you would shout, and you would encourage them. Well, here's the thing. God, our Father, is looking at us. He sees us. He sees us. He said, so shall I not see him, says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. One of the natural aspects of God, or supernatural aspects of God, rather, is his omnipresence. He's everywhere at one time. I mean, some of us had dads that couldn't be there for whatever reason. My dad spent four years away from home. He was in the Air Force. He spent two years in Vietnam. He spent just about two years in the Philippines. I missed him terribly. But he always made sure he wrote us and sent us pictures and slides And while that was good, it wasn't like having him near at hand. But I understood then, and I understand now, he was standing up for his country, and I honor him for that. My dad passed away in his mid-50s of lymphoma cancer. I was 21 when my dad died. There's not a day, literally, that goes by that, for some reason, I don't think of him. As a matter of fact, I have my dad's picture in my office up on the wall looking over my shoulder. So yes, I'd love to have my dad here. My dad never got to meet my kids on this. He'll only meet them in heaven one day. I'm looking forward to that. But understand this, no matter what the nature of your dad's presence or lack thereof in your life, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a heavenly father that is near at hand. And everywhere you go, he goes. And what you do, he sees. Because God loves us. He loves us. Moving from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see in the book of Romans, chapter 5, in verse 8. How do we know God loves us? Well, God demonstrated his own love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, there will be people who will say, well, I gave my dad a hard time growing up. There are times my dad wasn't happy with me. I'll tell you, there are times my dad wasn't happy with me. I guarantee it. See, the reason I can stand up and preach today, people say, do you get nervous? I get nervous about doing it before God, but I don't have a problem with running my mouth because I ran it when I was a kid. Matter of fact, I know on more than one occasion, I rather embarrassed my mother and father. I'll never forget one time when I was about five years old, my dad had one of his Air Force buddies and his wife and son at the house. And his son was a mischievous little brat. Okay, I'm just gonna tell you the truth. I believe in telling the truth here. Now I had my room and I had my toy chest and everything. And that little rascal got in there and tore, it, tore up everything I own. He took every toy out. He broke it apart, tore it up, left my room a shambles. So I happened to take my five, four, five-year-old self, marched out in the living room, and I looked up at that man. I said, Sergeant Fetters, that was his name. I'll never forget it. I said, you and your wife can come back anytime, but don't you dare ever bring that boy back in my house again. <laughs> at that moment, my dad looked at me. And I knew that was the end. So yes, there were times, and that was just one of the many, that I displeased my father. And I think we can all sit here today and talk about how we, at times, more than we want to talk about, have displeased our Heavenly Father. But aren't you glad that our Heavenly Father loves us nonetheless? I'm glad my dad still loved me after that. Once I got up off the floor. (laughs) Because here he says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the awesome, amazing love of God. Listen, that is the fatherly love of God. That love that continues to go on in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion. In spite of even embarrassing him. And so this morning, as we open the word, I want to share with you that story. Again, you're very familiar with it. If you've been around church long enough or if you've been saved long enough, you've read it. So have your Bibles and go to Luke 15. Luke 15. Jesus gives us this parable. And what is a parable? A parable is basically an object lesson is what it is, when I would do pastor's pals, when our Sunday schools teach our children, when our children's ministry teaches, and they use objects to teach lessons from. A parable is simply using an object or circumstance, and it's casting truth along with it. As a matter of fact, the word parable is Greek. Para, which means alongside of, and bale, which means to throw. And Jesus is taking an an instance, whether it's a story or an object, and he's demonstrating some truth with it. I remember when I did Pastor's Pals, I would bring all kinds of objects. And then people would bring me stuff and say, can you do a Pastor's Pals with that? And so I, I challenged the church. I said, I can make a Pastor's Pals object lesson out of anything you bring me. And then, bless God, if Rick McDaniel brought me something that he didn't even know what it was. He said, make something out of that. I sat there for a moment, and when it came, I had the kids come up. I sat down, I said, kids, I held that thing up, and I still don't know what it was. I kept it for years, but I held it up. I said, kids, sometimes God throws things in your life that you just can't understand. (laughs) So there you go. But Jesus gives us this object lesson And oftentimes we think of the prodigal son. The word prodigal means living in wild waste. Prodigal means a life of wastefulness, a life of wild living, pointless. And Jesus gives us this story. And Often we focus on the son. But this morning I want you to listen to the truth about the father. Because Jesus gave this story because he wanted to teach these who are listening about God. About his heavenly father, about our heavenly father. So I want you to notice as we look at this story of the prodigal son, his brother, and most importantly, his father. I want you to notice this about this father. First of all, as we open this story, this father, as is God, was approachable for his sons. Notice what it says in verse 11 of Luke 15. He said, then he said, a certain man had two sons. And a younger and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of our goods, or of the goods that fall to me. So he divided them his livelihood. So I want you to notice, first of all, this man was approachable by his sons. They could go to their dad. They can go to their dad and they can bring their dreams and their demands. And that's a key right there. They were, this, this young son was able to go to his father and say, Look, Dad, I think I'm ready to go out into the world. So I want you to give me my portion of the inheritance. Boy, would you do that today? Wonder what your father would do. But nonetheless, this father was approachable to this to this. This young man. And so it says, you know what the father did? So he divided to them his livelihood. He said, okay, you can have it. Now, when you look at that, you think of this father. And you got to ask the question, was this a good idea? Why would this father do that? Well, he was approachable. He loved his sons. And the younger came and asked him this outlandish thing. Look what he goes on to say. It says, And not so many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living, wasted living, wild living. He just went out and blew it. He just went out and blew everything that he had. Notice what it goes on to say. It says in verse 14, but when he had spent all, he took his inheritance and went out and just ran it and ran through it. When he spent all, then arose a severe there arose a severe famine in the land. Goes on to say, and he began to be in want, spent all of his money. Now there's a famine in the land. Why? You say, well, if he spent all of his money, what does it matter if there's a famine in the land or not? It's because even back then. Poor people were able to glean from the fields of those who would grow. The corners of the fields, the farmers were to leave those unharvested so that those in poverty could come and find something to eat. It was the way the Jews would take care of the poor. But even that was beginning to dry up. This kid was having a difficult time. It says, he went on, it says, Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the field to feed the swine. So he was so desperate that he became somebody's servant. That's what it means when it says he joined himself to somebody. He became most likely an indentured servant. And it goes on to say, And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So he ended up being a, a young, handsome son in a wealthy family, but he decided it was time to run. Time to go wild, time to get out from under dad's shadow. And he had a father who was approachable. He can go and bring his dad his demands and his dreams. Oh, I bet he said, Dad, I'm old, I'm old enough now. I have go out and do my thing. I'm smart enough now. I've been around laughing. You know, hey, listen. Young people know more than we do, don't they? They're constantly telling us that. Dad, I know what I'm doing. I'm smart. But it ended up with disappointment and disillusion, didn't it? He went out there and thought he was going to have a high time. But because of his own... Wildness and because of the circumstances, and that's one thing when we're young we don't think that are going to happen. Circumstances. We get our lives, we talked about this a couple of Wednesdays ago, we get our lives all planned out and stuff happens. I asked the Wednesday night group, I'll ask you, how many of you, how many of you, your life, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you think in your mind your life turned out the way you expected it to be when you were 18? It's probably somebody sitting there, nineteen. Me, okay, but uh, you look at your life, and you're in your thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, and maybe—is your life what you thought it was going to be? Are you doing what you wanted to do? Are you are you living the dream? Maybe you are. I hope so. Maybe not. If you would have asked me at eighteen, Mike, are you planning to be the pastor of a church in North Carolina? I would have said no. No, at 18, I was going to be an artist. I was going to serve the Lord, but I was going to be a cartoonist. I was going to be the next Charles Schultz. But bless God, here I am, and I've never complained and regretted it. But it didn't turn out the way I expected. But the key is, this father was willing to let his son do that. Is that a good idea all the time? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. The key here is not the idea of letting our kids run wild. The key here is the fact that the father is approachable. See, this is how God is. God is approachable as a heavenly father. We can go to God at any time with anything, and he listens. The book of Hebrews tell us to go before his throne of grace and to seek help and mercy in time of need. We can also go to God with our concerns and our questions. And yes, our doubts. The entire book of Habakkuk is about someone going to the Father with his questions and his doubts. The whole book of Psalms are prayers to God, prayers of sorrow, prayers of celebration, prayers of anger. Prayers of peace. God, even though he's grand, majestic, magnificent, and wonderful, he's approachable. And you can go to his throne of grace. It's wonderful. It's a throne of grace. We don't deserve to go there, but it's it's there. And he says in that throne of grace, you can find mercy and help in time of need. Well, the Father in this parable pictures God. And you know what? Sometimes God lets us run a little wild. Sometimes God lets his children rebel. He let Adam and Eve rebel, didn't he? And the reason why is because he, he wanted to introduce, he wanted to have sin and a choice introduced so the people would freely choose him instead of being programmed to do so. And we've been in rebellion ever since. We think we're smarter than God, just like I always thought I was smarter than my dad. We can bring our dreams. And our demands, our disillusion and disappointment to him. He's approachable. This father also, he was associated with heaven by his sons. It's interesting, I heard a statistic coming in this morning about Father's Day and Mother's Day. Hallmark came up with both. And Hallmark came up with Mother's Day first. And the reason why is, they wanted to make money. And we should honor our mothers. I mean, we should honor them not just one day a year, but every day. But they came up with the holiday and they started putting out cards. And listen, Hallmark made a bundle on Mother's Day. So you know what any business person would do? Well, we made a bundle on Mother's Day. Let's do Father's Day. So they decided to come up with Father's Day. Guess what? They didn't make as much money on Father's Day. They didn't make as much money on Father's Day. And the reason why is because at that time, society had come to the conclusion that fathers are just an add-on. Fathers are just an add-on. Even in feminist culture today, fathers are an add-on, are necessary to carry things, pay bills, and to have children. But that's it. Whereas scripturally speaking, the father and the mother are equal and necessary before God. And so fathers were held in grand esteem in Scripture. And I want you to notice as we continue on this morning, let's jump down to verse 17. So here's this kid. He's out in the field feeding pigs. Now, you've got to understand this about Jewish culture. This was not something you would be proud of. Maybe today, if your son or daughter grew up and became a hog farmer, we have that in the western part of the eastern part of the state, and that's a great career. I appreciate those people because I dearly love bacon, okay? Amen Amen and amen. Thank you. (laughs) But back for Jews, that wasn't something you wanted to do because hogs, pigs were unclean. And so he didn't even work for a Jewish family. He had to leave and go work for a Gentile family. And it says he, he wanted the pods that the pigs ate from. Well, the pod that they used was part of a carob plant. And it was shaped like a horn and it was sweet and had a bread consistency. And what these pods were used for was primarily to fatten pigs. They weren't served to people. People did not eat them. They were grown specifically to fatten pigs. And he was so hungry, so desperate, so broken, so disappointed and disillusioned that even eating the pods the pigs ate, he would be appreciative of that. And so there he was at one time eating at the table with his family, but because of his own selfishness and sin, he's at the hog trough, starving. And suddenly the light comes on. Look what it says in verse 17. But he came to himself. The light came on. All of a sudden, everything that his father and mother had taught him, they were right. They were right. I don't know when that happens with kids. I can't sit here and tell you the time when I came to the realization about many things in life that, you know, they were right. And I know some of you have kids that haven't got there yet. This kid did. He finally saw that he was in trouble. He goes on to say, he said, how many of my father's hired servants Have bread enough to eat and to spare, but I perish with hunger. So he came to a realization, and he realized his failure. See, because when God guides us and brings us along, just like parents, when we stray from that good teaching, there's failure evidentially going to come, eventually going to come. And hopefully we come to the place like this young man did that we realize it before it's ultimately too late. Because that's what he did. He realized, I've messed up finally. This was not a good idea. My dad probably tried to talk him out of it. and He said, my dad was right. And here my dad's servants are eating better than me. So I also want you to notice something else. He realized some things about his father. Now look at this next passage. This is so wonderful. Look at verse 18. He says, I will arise and go to my father. That took a lot of courage, by the way. Let's not look down upon this kid. He messed up, but he came to a census. And he has the courage now to go back. I will arise and go to my father. And look what he says, to, he's going to say to his father. Now I want you to see something here. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. See, the Father was the spiritual head of the home in those days. In a real sense, the Father was the earthly representation of God, in a sense. And he was going to go say, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. Look what he also says. Look at verse 19. And I am no longer worthy... To be called your son. Make me now like one of your hired servants. Did you hear that? Here is this father in a sense in this story representing God in heaven. And do you see the plan of salvation here? Just like our heavenly father, we have rebelled against him. God, I don't need you. God, I don't want you. God, I'm smart. I'm going to go out and have fun in this world. I'm going to blow my life on enjoyment and pleasure and leisure. And then all of a sudden we come to realize that that is a big mistake. That is empty. There's nothing fulfilling in this world. There's nothing rewarding in this world. It's all temporary. And we finally come to our realization that I need God. And so we come to God and we say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you. That's the first step of salvation. Not only that, but he says, God, I am not worthy to be called your son. That's what he wants to say to his father. That's the next step of salvation. Lord, I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve a relationship with you. And the reality is none of us do. None of us deserve to call God our heavenly father. That's the second step of salvation. And then comes a decision of faith. Make me like one of your hired servants. He's wanting to trust in his father to bring him back in the household. Not even as a son. He knows just being his father's servant would be enough. That's what happens when we get saved. We come to God, admit our sin. We're not worthy of heaven. And we place our full confidence in God, even if it means serving him and being his servant. That's the the gospel message. And the son associated heaven with his father. And so not only was he seeking forgiveness and and reestablishment from his father, he was seeking it from God, the father as well. Now, if you go to the gods that exist in other religions, or say they exist, for instance, if you go to Allah in Islam, he may or may not care about you. Because the Quran says Allah has no sons or no daughters. And in Islam, you've got to work. You've got to do the five pillars of Islam. I'm not going to relate them today. But you gotta serve, you gotta learn, you gotta pray, you gotta give, you gotta sacrifice. And you could be a perfect Muslim, and Allah can still cast you into hell. As a matter of fact, according to the Muslim hadiths, even if you do make it to paradise, Allah is capricious. He could just change his mind and cast you back into hell again. Not our God, not the God, not the true God. He loves, he saves, he forgives, and he reestablishes. I want you to notice this father. Not only, was he, not only was he approachable to his sons, and not only was he associated with heaven by his sons, but he was affectionate with his sons. He was a loving father. So look what happens in verse 20. It says, And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, in other words, he was coming home to his father, and it was probably a long, hard walk. It was a long, hard walk. It's hard to tell somebody, yes, I was wrong, isn't it? It's hard to say, I've blown it. It's hard to say, because what, he, what do you expect the person to say? I told you so. Don't you hate when somebody does that? Oh, no, we hate when that, they do it to us, but don't you often want to do it to somebody else? Don't look at me like you're spiritual. And I bet you he was going to his father. And I bet you he was walking and trudging down that road, thinking, "Man, when I get there, he may not even want me here. He may not, he may just say, "Get out of here. You failed me. You're not my son anymore." Or I may come up that trail and he may just say, "Go to the bunkhouse. You're nothing but a servant to me." Which, you know what? He would have been happy with that because he knew he was wrong. Now, here is where we see God running says while he was still a far way off look at verse 20 his father saw him now we don't know how much time elapsed here but his father saw him now you got to ask the question how did his father see him Why wasn't his father busy doing something else? Do you not wonder if his father checked that road every day? Because look what it says. His father saw him, look at, and had compassion. And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. As Jesus is sharing this parable, he's likening this father to the heavenly father. And so, yes, this father, when he saw his son, he was so moved that his son had come home. He loved him so deeply. Yes, his son messed up. Yes, his son did sin against him. Yes, he failed. But all of a sudden, this father, the love of this father overcomes the sinfulness. And not only is this father looking for him, but he's so compassionate and longing to see him that he runs to him. He doesn't run away from him. And so here's the thing. As Jesus is sharing this parable, and as we see this running father, in this we see the compassionate, passionate heart of Almighty God. There's a poem that you need to read. It was written around the 1600s entitled The Hound of Heaven. Google it, look it up, read it sometime today or the next few days. It's written with this parable in mind of how God loves us so much that just like a bloodhound chases down what he's looking for, so God will chase us and come after us. We don't have a God who, once we sin, says, you know what, go ahead and go to hell, I don't care. As a matter of fact, people will say, well, you must serve a wicked and horrible God in that he sends people to hell. Let me correct you. God has never sent a soul to hell. They do that themselves. Even though humanity spit in his eye, cursed his name, turned their back on him, and rebelled and spent all the gifts that he's given them on selfishness, God still loves us so much that he ran to earth, took on flesh, And took a cross for you and I. I tell you, if that doesn't stir your soul, then you've got a problem. God ran. The father ran to him. Talk about affection. So we see a running father. Look at verse 21. And and the son said to him, here's what he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son." We have a running father and we have a repentant son. This son changed his mind. That's what the word repent means from the Greek, metanoia, change of mind. He thought he was smarter than his dad. He thought he could go out and have a great time. My dad's keeping me down. He's keeping me back. I'm going to go. I don't need him. I'm going to go out and have fun. Well, he found out that there's nothing true to that. He changed his mind and came home, repentant, broken, and his father ran to him. Ran to him. And let me remind you, my dear brothers and sisters, that is how God loves you and I. God doesn't cast us aside. God's not going to just throw us away. God ran to save us. He loves us. Yes, God is majestic. Yes, He is amazing. He is not bound by space, matter, and time. Yes, He is omniscient, omnipresent. Yes, He's this magnificent, self-existent being. But He's also a heavenly Father. And His love moves Him to run to you and I. He was an affectionate Father with His sons. And finally... We see that once his son was returned to him, he was reassuring to his sons. Notice what he says in verse 22. But the father said to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring out the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. And he was lost but is found. And they began to be merry. And what did they do? They had a party and they celebrated. Well, while they celebrated, his older brother was in the house. His older brother didn't go anywhere. His older brother just hung around and got mad. Why aren't you celebrating with me? He said, you know, Dad, I, I've been here this whole time. I've never done anything wrong. I didn't run off. I didn't take my hair and squander it. And he's referring this parable talks about the Jews who had been part of God's family and God's people said, you, didn't even, you won't even kill a goat for me and my friends, much less the fatted calf. But look how wonderful the dad is. He threw a party for his prodigal son. Had a great party for him, the fatted calf. They had steaks. But his other son, who was so proud, look what he says as we continue. Look down on 31. The proud son, he was upset. You can read that on your own. Time is running away. So the father addresses the older son, and he said to him, son... You are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost, and now he's found. So God even loves the proud son. God is an assuring God. We celebrate when somebody comes to know Christ. Matter of fact, the Bible says there's joy in heaven when one sinner Comes to the Savior. But he also loves his existing children. God doesn't play favorites. This is the father that we worship. This is the father that you and I, men, should emulate. A father who is approachable. A father who is associated with heaven. Our kids should see God in us and through us. Our kids should see us serving God. And even if you're not a father, you're a man in the church. The children of the church should see that. We need to be loving and kind and compassionate and affectionate, and we need to be assuring. And I close with this statement. Bruce Larson, pastor and writer, said this. He said, there are two truths in the story that that are very reassuring. He said, the first truth is that somehow you and I have a home with God. We're created to be at home with God. Isn't that good to know? Just last year my mother who's fallen into ill health had to move in with my sister and they sold her house. The house I grew up with. The house I grew up in. Now when I go back to Tampa for the very first time in the 30 plus years I've been away, I can't go home. And that's hard. But I know that wherever my mother is, that's where home is. But I know that through Jesus Christ, I have a home in heaven. He goes on to say, when we're lost, it's because we have strayed from the place that we were meant to be. We were created to glorify God in heaven, but we rebelled in Adam. Here's the second thing as we finish. But the second exciting lesson here is that Jesus is aggressively looking for us. You find the symbol of the shepherd in many other world religions, but only in the Gospels is the shepherd pictured as one who is is actively looking for his lost sheep. It's an extraordinary and powerful image. God is passionately seeking you. Whether you've never known Christ as Savior or if you do know him, listen, that is the father ultimately that we honor today. That is this grand and magnificent God, the transcendent God, who is also near at hand, sees everything, and loves us. So we encourage you today to fall upon him, run to him, embrace him, and let him, as you're thinking about Father's Day, you know, my father's gone, he's in heaven, but I can still honor Father's Day because I wanna honor my heavenly father. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.